ladies and gentlemen, I am your hostess, Lana. Joining me from Australia is Glenn. Yes, he's ethnically Chinese, but supports the right of European nations to remain European. It's not that shocking. The avatar we're using, it is really him. He took the picture. We're going to discuss the silent invasion of the Chinese. Why are they doing it? What is going on? The CQ, the Chinese question. Don't miss it. Welcome, Glenn. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate you being brave enough to come talk to me since I'm such a big, bad, evil, racist, white supremacist. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so something tells me that you're an exception. And what we're going to get into a little bit about, you know, your your background and introduction into you and why you decided to come talk to me today. So let's dive into it. Tell us about yourself. Um, yeah, before I get into that, um, so basically I'm going to be talking about what I call the Chinese problem in Australia. Because at this point, uh, we know that America's demographic replacement comes mainly from south of the border. Europe's native population replacement comes mainly from Africa and the Middle East. But for Australia and New Zealand, the demographic replacement comes mainly from Asia and mostly China. Now, most white people in Australia and worldwide don't seem to fully understand um, the Chinese. And they just look at them with such rose-tinted glasses. Many of them anchor on to the good traits that the Chinese have, such as high IQ, strong family values, and just overlook the flaws and negatives. Even when the flaws and negatives are identified, we still get plenty of rationale, such as, well, at least they aren't like Muslims and things like that. Mm. I've even seen some nationalists um, say that they're um, pro-white, but still kind of downplay or justify miscegenation between whites and Asians. Mm. Like, Look, race mixing is race mixing, no matter how you paint it. So here I'm going to address a lot of the points that people miss when it comes to the Chinese and provide a bigger picture of how the growing presence of Chinese influence will impact and change Australia. So yeah, I'm going to be focusing mainly on Australia as it's the country I'm most knowledgeable in and I'm living here right now. And plus, uh, the Chinese influence is affecting Australia most as opposed to America and Europe. That's right. I spent time course, I spent yeah. some time in Australia, so I got a I got a taste of that for sure. Yeah, but of course many of the things discussed here will be relevant in different parts of the West where large numbers of Chinese congregate, such as Vancouver, Canada, and of course our neighboring New Zealand. So yes, I am an ethnic Chinese currently living in Australia and I've been following the demographic shifts and nationalism throughout the West for over 10 years now. I was born in mainland China and my parents and I immigrated out of China before I started grade school. All my other relatives stayed in China and that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I had the opportunity of growing up in multiple Western countries throughout my childhood due to my parents' ambitions. Of course, Australia being the one that I spent the most time in. Even as a young boy, I was able to understand and rationalize that I was living in a foreign country and why pretty much um, everyone around me didn't physically resemble me. Yeah, I remember when, you know, the West was visibly still white, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, this, bothered, this never bothered me um, because I knew I was a guest in someone else's house. And even in school, when they preached to us about the virtues of diversity and multiculturalism, there was always doubt in the back of my mind if this concept was even natural. So what um, really set me off uh, to my awakening towards race realism 
um, occurred on the 11th of December 2005. So in short, what happened that day was 5,000 locals from the Sydney beachside suburb of Cronulla stormed out into the streets in righteous anger. They were fed up with Middle Eastern men of mostly Lebanese background coming into Cronulla and causing violence and conflict. The controlled mainstream media labelled what happened that day as the Cronulla riots. Yeah, I I refuse to believe that it was a riot. Yes, mm-hmm. a few um, men of Middle Eastern appearance happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, so they didn't get treated very well. That's true. But anyways, I knew instantly that the media was just full of crap when they were spewing their anti-white rhetoric about Cronulla. Because I went to a high school at that time that had a sizable Muslim population, so I knew the type of people they were. Anyways, following the events of Cronulla, I did some research and found out that this anti-white attitude and rhetoric was not just happening in Australia, but happening all over the Western world. Now, I see Western civilization like my adopted mother. I may not be her biological son, but she certainly has provided, fed, and clothed me and sheltered me like I was one of hers. So I was not going to allow. So yeah, I was not going to allow her to be disrespected and attacked in such a manner like this. Now, people often bring up that the Chinese outperform whites in a lot of areas such as income in an attempt to justify multiculturalism or civic nationalism. Australian boomers are especially guilty of this every time the topic of immigration comes up. However, no one seems to recognize that the main reason the Chinese as a demographic do so well in the West is because most Chinese who immigrate to the West are already educated and have a bedrock of financial stability. In a nutshell, most Chinese moving into the West are already of high socioeconomic status. This was especially true for my parents, as I've already mentioned. Um, they were quite ambitious um, and we moved around a lot. And they were both educated and were financially stable before we moved out of China. Even Chinese families of lower socioeconomic status who make it to the West are aware of this factor and that they must adapt to climb the social ladder if they hope to ever fit in and have what we call face with other Chinese in the West. So the concept of having face within Chinese culture is associated with like reputation, dignity and prestige, which is a big deal in Chinese culture and Chinese of um, higher status. So even in the presence presence of non-Chinese, uh, especially whites, these Chinese would still apply the same concepts and practices of giving face in social and professional settings. Examples of maintaining or giving face include complimenting others, um, generous gift giving, or inviting others to social events. So furthermore, the Chinese who are more educated and wealthy tend to be more fluent in the language English and more understanding of the social norms. So they will have more face to socialize with whites, further reinforcing the positive stereotypes of the Chinese. If the Chinese demographics were more more broad off in the West, you'll come across more lower class Chinese who don't value face and have more negative traits. So those rose tinted glasses will come off. In fact, this was the case when tens of thousands of Chinese who arrived in Australia and California during the gold rush. Those Chinese back then were mostly young men who were poorly educated and did not fit in very well with the locals. And their cheap labor 
drove wages down, which white working class men back then had families um, who depended on it. So, of course, um, whites back then didn't have a very good light on the Chinese. Well, it's uh, a no-brainer that certain non-white groups like Africans and Muslims are quite open with their anti-white sentiments and brag about it. Um, but are the Chinese similar or have or harbor any anti-white views? Well, based on my overall experiences interacting with my relatives back in China, my parents and so, and my parents' social circles, such as families and colleagues, I personally have not noticed uh, notice any of them say anything or imply that seem to be anti-white or disparaging towards whites. And of course, all these interactions were in Mandarin and within the spaces where no whites were present. Not it would matter because they wouldn't understand. The only thing close that could be considered anti-white is their criticism of America sticking their nose in everyone else's business. Yeah, I agree with that. All, so, yeah. yeah, but of course, we all know that um, it's the elites and the globalists who are behind this, not the will of the American people. Yeah. Yeah. And... But, and also, that what's interesting to note is that even within the Chinese mainstream media and social media, they rarely ever seem to vilify white people very much. When white expats or tourists misbehave and get in trouble in China, they're simply labeled as Lao Wei or Wei Guoren, both meaning, but both are like neutral terms for foreigner. However, when it's a demographic that the Chinese aren't very fond of who misbehave in China, or get in trouble, such as Africans, they will immediately um, identify them as Africans, which is Fizuren or black people, Heiren. <laughs> yeah, well, Overall. Just, yeah, yeah. I, I know my my experience, you know, with Chinese is yeah, they, they don't uh, <laughs> they're not yeah. big fans of some of these Africans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's what's also funny is that um, earlier this week when I visited my mom, she showed me uh, some picture um because she, she uses the chinese um social media wechat so it was a picture of um a train carriage in the in the city of guangzhou um so guangzhou is nicknamed chocolate city because of its um because it has like a population of two hundred thousand africans and anyways this photo um this photo's uh train carriage was full of african africans and the chinese caption underneath basically said oh like what is this africa <laughs> yeah. So overall, um, while it doesn't seem the Chinese are collectively anti-white or want to harm white people, I would still recommend you take this point of a grain of salt as this may change in the future, even if it's highly unlikely. I mean, we do have some, you know, in the West there, and I know in Australia as well, there are cries of discrimination, especially in Canada amongst the, the Chinese there. Uh, what do you, what do you yeah. think about that? You know, because as you said, a lot of them, like in Canada, there's a lot of millionaires coming in, lots of millionaire Chinese. Uh, they come in and then they still qualify for, you know, minority status. So they still get in uh, above, you know, poor white people in certain mm -hmm. aspects, right? Jobs and schools and whatnot. Uh, well, well, I find that the way the Chinese play the race card um, is a, it's a it's a bit of a mix between like they're unaware of what's going on, like because yeah, because the the Chinese um, in many ways just aren't aware of what they're doing because they think they're not they're doing nothing wrong, you know, applying for grants and things like that. 
Yep. Um, some of them think that um, people just don't like Chinese, so they associate with xenophobia. And then the other half, they're kind of, you know, hypnotized by the leftist doctrine, you know, that they're, you know, victims and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, they, so some do play the victim card. So yeah. it's a bit of a mix of both. Um, but again, um, I don't really have a statistics of how often that happens. So, but of course, it's not as high compared to some of the other non-white groups, if yeah. you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, well, there's so much that we want to get into here, um, but mm-hmm. I think that we should talk a little bit about the, you know, Communist Party of China, the CCP, uh, when it comes to identity and politics. Is it the same thing for them? I mean, do they have goals overseas? Let's kind of jump into that stuff. Yeah, I was about to get to that point. So, um, so yeah, because the, the thing is, um, as you probably know, most Chinese tend to uh, behave in a very, in like a hive mind-like setting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the Chinese Communist Party are, are aware of this mentality and they do use it to, to their advantage to influence Chinese abroad. And since the inception of the CCP, they've polarized the identity of being Chinese to loyalty to the CCP, as in to be truly Chinese, not just by heritage, you must align your loyalty to the CCP. I'm sure most of us are already aware that China operates on a one-party state, and they Mm -hmm. have a hand everywhere within Chinese society. Everything you can think of from the mainstream media to education. And let's also not forget that they heavily regulate and censor their internet access. Now, while my Mandarin skills are speech-wise is elementary at best, I can only read and write very few Mandarin characters. But even with my poor Mandarin skills, I could still over the years pick up the way the CCP would use Chinese media and other methods of influence when reaching out to Chinese abroad. The CCP indirectly communicates a sense of if you're not loyal or supportive to the Chinese regimes, that they they, um, bring shame to China or are traitors to the Chinese people. And of course, this long arm of influence is much more effective on those who grew up in China and went to Chinese government schools than those um, who, who were either born or grew up in the West. And now last year, while I was at work, um, I had a Chinese work colleague um, in her 50s try to show me some new video or documentary about Taiwan, most likely produced by the Chinese government to try to make the CCP look good. I simply told her, I don't understand it and nor does it interest me. She gave me a pretty dirty look like I did something wrong. Mm. I didn't care. (laughs) Whatever it is that China is still salty about with Taiwan is their problem, not mine. Yeah. So it's pretty safe to say that 90% of all Chinese living in the West who grew up in China are conditioned to be loyal Loyal to the CCP. the Communist Party, exactly. Yeah. So should we be suspicious, (laughs) right? You know about communism, not our friend. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll I'll touch on the Communist Part too, because um, economically we know that China is very capitalist right now and Mm -hmm. very consumerist. Yeah, it's a weird hybrid of communism. I I try and get Chinese, you know, who actually live in China to explain the system for me and none of them actually can. It's interesting. Yes, but um, when it comes to control and government, they they are um, using a lot of the communist elements, you know, such as censorship, 
like they're doing with the internet. So, so if you ask me, I think they're picking and choosing um, out of whatever communist um, handbook they're using. So they, they, they're just using it to whatever suits them, whatever they perceive serves China's needs. Um, they're not, um, they're not specifically bent on spreading like, you know, socialism and like, um, what was it? Seizing the means of production, that kind of thing, you know, or world communism, like enforcing yeah. world communism. That's not, not a goal. Yes. <laughs> okay. And of course, you know, things like homosexuality and all that, um, is illegal in China. Yeah, exactly. So they seem very uh, for communists. And, you know, we think of communists as like kind of American communists that are like super mm -hmm. liberal and they love all kinds of degeneracy. But that's not really the case in China. They don't like it is more traditional. Correct. And they're also more nationalistic. Yeah. I mean, they're they don't have open borders in China. Right. They're not pushing uh, multiculturalism. Right. Well, the culture. Um, well, well, like I said, um, things like uh, feminism, like homosexuality is illegal in China. Um they're still affected by a lot of the postmodern problems that even in the West is facing. You know, um, one one of them I've found is um, is the imbalance of men and women in China. So of course, because there's so much more men than women, women you know have an inflated what we call sexual market value. So um, so yeah, the attitudes towards marriage and having kids is not very traditional, mm. if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and I've also found that um, Chinese men have, over the years, been pretty emasculated too. And also earlier this year, when I went back to China with my mom, uh, we were visiting family. Um, so my oldest cousin on my mother's side of family, um, she is divorced now. And she has a five-year-old girl. Uh, nobody else knows about the divorce except for myself, my mom, and her parents. The little girl doesn't know that um, their parents divorced. Hmm. So, yeah. And anyways, um, while we were having lunch, um, of course, juniors being juniors, she was being cheeky and naughty. And, yeah, there was just not much discipline going on. And my mom muttered to me, well, she was like, you were never like this when you were a boy. I was like, yeah, um, well, that's because um, her father's not in the picture. So no one's disciplining her. That's right. And then my mom told me, well, it wouldn't make a difference because because apparently Chinese fathers spoil their their daughters, hmm. which was which was a bit of a surprise to me. So and then I was like, wait, mom, so didn't grandpa discipline you when you were young? And she was like, yes. And of course he did, because. I always saw my grandpa as a pretty alpha male, so mm. I couldn't imagine him being that soft. So it so it appears that the phenomenon of of this beta father figure um, with daughters in China is somewhat of a recent development. Because I wonder how yeah. that propaganda kind of crept in there. Any ideas? I, I know you don't live there, so it's kind of hard to analyze that. But any ideas? Well, I find it's. Um, it comes mostly from, you know, the postmodern world we live in with yeah. capitalism, materialism. Sure, yeah. And of course, um, they do, the Chinese do consume some Western media. So oh, a lot, elements yeah. of that would, would have crept in, you know. TV shows, movies, yeah. they still get all that junk, all the Hollywood junk they're buying, you know. Um, I don't know. Um, 
The Wakanda Chinese did really do- bad there, I have to add, yeah. though. <laughs> Wakanda was a flop in China. <laughs> yeah. Well the, well, the Chinese doesn't just let everything, and they still kind of regulate it. But, um, yeah, I don't know what kind of things they watch, but um, while I was there, um, I looked at, looked um, on what was on TV, and it was mostly, like, normie tier um, distractions, like fancy soap operas, um, talk shows, and those kind of things, you know. And of course, it would make sense that they that CCP would want the population to be a bit more passive, so they don't threaten their oh yeah one party state, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but anyways, um, I'll also touch on my parents because yeah, my parents seem to be somewhat loyal to CCP too, and I consider my parents somewhat woke because compared to the other Chinese I've met over my lifetime, my parents on average seem to possess more common sense and self-awareness in comparison. Ironically, I would attribute my parents to be somewhat instrumental into my uh, awakening towards race realism. For example, when when my parents visited me when I was in university, they gave me some advice on what racial and ethnic groups to be cautious of. And to my surprise, they even mentioned that the Chinese and Jews tend to be cheap. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've also heard my mom on numerous times express annoyance of seeing other Chinese in the West still possess what she considers low-grade behavior mm-hmm. that they brought with them from China. So, yeah, overall, even despite this, this level of unfiltered view on the world, my parents still hold um, favorable views towards the CCP or China, or like same thing either way. Um, for example, when when I was a teenager, I was out with my mum once with, and she was with some of her white friends or colleagues. I didn't pay attention to their discussion, but I remember the topic of Chairman Mao coming up. Um, I don't recall my mum sounding triggered or angry, but she did sound very passionate by the way she was talking about him, like she was defending him. And then um, a few years ago, uh, I was out with my mom and a few of her Chinese friends. I don't remember what was being talked about, but I remember just blurting out something like, yeah, I know Mao, that guy killed millions. Yeah. And then my mom muttered to me, killed millions? Yeah, of course they teach you that. <laughs> and by they. <laughs> yeah, they don't actually, they don't teach that anymore. Yeah. No, they apologize and for I, Yeah, and I assume by what my mom said, they, I think she meant, Western education. Mm, mm, but don't worry, don't. she didn't <laughs> she didn't get angry at me or give me a silent treatment or anything like that. So yeah, it's not like <laughs> you know, she disowned me or yeah. anything. <laughs> but there's still there's still that loyalty, right? You know, they still I yeah, noticed that even with some Russians, unfortunately, you know, they they knew no communism murdered millions of the best Russians there. And still today you have people that try and apologize for it and, and just kind of whitewash it in different ways, you know. Yeah. They just don't want to admit that it was bad and that their people were part of it, I guess. Yeah, so as you can see, this conditioning of CCP loyalty and polarization of Chinese identity to the CCP goes pretty deep. Of course, um, my parents would be a bit more tame, but there are some Chinese who are a bit more fanatical with um, their loyalty. You know, for for example, when um, I remember back in, I think it was 2009, when the topic of uh, Tibet came up. There were um, there were groups of Chinese students like causing trouble, like waving Chinese flags, like trying to basically shut them shut down the protests in support of Tibet. 
you know, things like that. So they do um, utilize an element of mob mentality, you know, mm-hmm. when, when it comes to like, you know, the loyalty to the CCP. And um, yeah, you asked me um, early on, so how organized and collective are the Chinese? Well, the Chinese have a big, have a mix of both individualism and collectivism. Like the Chinese are mostly agnostic and atheist, so they're not united under any specific doctrine or set of beliefs. Um, even when it comes to CCP, um, I find that most most Chinese are sort of um, sort of uh, have a mix. Like they say they're loyal, but um, but their actions semi reflects that, you know. And based on my observations of the Chinese in and out of China, I find that the Chinese are, are you know, more normy um, compared to whites in their normal everyday lives. Because as long as they have money, they're happy. Yeah, as long as they could buy yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, it seems like a lot. Yeah. They're they're quite materialistic, like so many people yeah. these days. But I notice. I mean, yeah. that's why there's so many rich Chinese coming over too, because they get to buy all the bling, right? You know. Yeah, and I, I've lived in America for a period of time. I've been to New York, California, Connecticut, Ohio, and and compared to the Americans, I'd still consider the Chinese more materialistic, no matter how crazy Americans Americans can get. So you're saying too that yeah. that essence of some kind of spirituality has been lost too? Isn't there anything going on there? Well, well that's the thing that the CCP um, forbids religion, mm. you know, in China, and because. They don't want the Chinese um, to be distracted by religion. They want they want to be the god. The, the state yeah, is they the want, god. The CCP wants to be their quote unquote religion. You know, so you know for easier for easier control and such. So uh, let's talk about kind of long term. I was asking you how how organized they are. I mean, how conscious it is. It kind of sounds like some are conscious, some aren't. Uh, some are individuals. Some think collectively, of course. But uh, resources, neo-colonialism. I mean, is that like goals of the Communist Party? You think to go out and you know conquer parts of the world? So basically, um, it appear it appears something. Well, anyways, I'm I'm going to uh, refer to Clive Hamilton's book which he wrote earlier this year, called Silent Invasion, China's Influence in Australia. And according to Hamilton, uh, he, f- he, find, um, he wrote that the, modern, that the CCP pushes a narrative that modern Chinese history is full of humilia- humiliation and that mod- modern China was a victim to bullying from foreign powers. And they pushed that narrative that they somehow saved China from the Japanese in World War II, but in reality... The commies fled the war and came back after the war to take out the nationalist government after they were weakened from the war. So the CCP pushes a narrative that they will set China back to regaining its past glory as a nation. And and yeah, the, the name the name China in Mandarin is Zhongguo. Zhong means middle or center, and Guo means nation or country. So in Mandarin, the name China literally means middle kingdom and appears that most modern day Chinese leaders are still clinging onto this middle kingdom mentality once held by Chinese emperors. Except this time, it doesn't seem like they want to be the middle kingdom of East Asia, but they would like to be the middle kingdom of the world, like they're the most important nation. 
I don't know how far China wants to go with this Middle Kingdom vision um, because, yeah, they're, they're pretty um, hell-bent on claiming that the South China Sea is theirs and causing trouble, you know, with countries like Vietnam and the Philippines over that. You know, they say that uh, all the South China Sea belongs to them because historically at one point it was mostly Chinese using that area, but they can't produce any historical document or evidence to prove it. You know, maybe back in the 60s, they should have gave them more thought when the CCP was destroying historical artifacts and documents because of the more cultural revolution reasons. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also recall in 2014, some Chinese official vaguely suggesting that the Chinese discovered Australia on the basis that a 14th century Qing dynasty coin was found off of an island north of Australia. So the fact that the CCP is even vaguely trying to suggest that they discovered Australia, not Europeans, sets a dangerous precedent. Bottom line, I don't trust the CCP and their grandiose middle kingdom. I don't think um, the CCP wants to, like, you know, rule, um, rule or control the world the same way, you know, the Jews right now are, you know, are, you know, are doing because, mm. as we know, the Jews are trying to try and destroy the West and you know destabilize the Middle East. You know, I don't think China um, will actually go that far because you know China, for its five thousand year history, hasn't expanded very far west or expanded very far east. You know, so they kind of just stayed in their in their own homes. So, yeah, I don't know how how it will play out, but they do want to be that middle kingdom. Like the whole world looks to China as the as the most important guy, you know, they, they just kind of want to be the top dog at this point. But of course, um, the way Chinese is, the Ch China is going about it does raise some certain questions. Um, I've heard recently that they've been trying to buy um, land in South Africa, and that's also what's influencing the um, blacks in South Africa to see. Farms from China. Uh, I mean, from, from farms white from yeah. from whites. Yeah, because some of these um, farms are on land which had which has an abundance of natural materials, which China would like to get their hands on. Yeah, yeah, not good. Yeah, that's not good. Um, and yeah, China has been causing um a bit of trouble for Australia. One recent example that stood out to me was during the 2016 Rio Olympics. So Australian swimmer Mac Horton won gold and beat his Chinese rival who was second. After the race, Horton refused to shake hands with him, saying that he won't shake hands for a previously convicted drug cheat. The Chinese pressured the Australian committee to make Horton take back what he said and apologize, but they defended him and said that's his freedom of speech. So of course the Chinese didn't take it very well and took offense. Then Horton's social media pages were just was flooded for the following two months with like thousands of angry Chinese insulting him in Mandarin and broken English. I also had a browse of some of these profiles commenting and insulting Horton and noticed that many of them were also Chinese living in Australia and other white countries around the world. I also noticed that a number of the Chinese Females um, who are commenting appear to be married or be in relationships with white men. So this further reinforces my earlier point about how most Chinese who grew up in China 
will always be collectively loyal to China and the CCP foremost, even if their partners are white or non-Chinese, non-Asian. And also during um, this fiasco, the Global Times, a public newspaper of the CCP, made a big deal of this whole trade and wrote a hit piece attacking Australia, making derogatory remarks about Australia's convict history. And I also want to briefly touch on this because um, Australia's convict uh, history has been has been source of like anti-white rhetoric from right. the left, saying you know like that Australians are all descendants of criminals and things like that. And even in some people, yeah. if people people know or this, like some people might have stolen a loaf of bread or something. They weren't like hardcore yeah. criminals, you know. Yeah, there were a few hardcore criminals sure. with, within them, um, but most of them they committed um, crimes that today we would simply consider as misdemeanors or like a slap on the wrist. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Um, but if you look at the, um, the diary of Watkin Tench, a British Marine officer at that time who was on the first fleet, in his diary, he, he actually, um, from what he can recount, it suggests that most of these convicts were handpicked by the British government to, to be sent to Australia because they had skills such as carpentry, blacksmith, um, mechanics, and things like that. So, so to suggest that these convicts were just dumped there and left to rot is completely false. Yeah, they had, they built something yeah. from nothing. It was not, there was yeah, nothing they were, there. They were instrumental to the um, construction of Australia as a nation. The British um, wanted Australia to be one of the one of their many dominions out in the Pacific. So yeah, this um, narrative that that somehow Australia was was just some penal colony with a bunch of no good criminals is completely false. And this is something I don't think they really uh, teach even throughout history because uh, for, for a period of time, um, it was considered shame um, for many Australians to find out they were descendants of a convict. But in recent times, um, most have gotten over it. Some even take pride that their descendant was a convict. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. asking Australians and they would just get mad and, and annoyed <laughs> by the question. Yeah. So. But anyways, yeah, the Chinese government over the years have been really, really just pushing the ball and trying to sway Australian politics to their favor, mainly through financial means. And they've done it to both of our major parties. Earlier this year, they targeted Chinese voters in Canberra, which is the capital, uh, telling them that the Liberal Party is not good for China and urged them to vote for the Labour Party. And for the reference, the Liberal Party is actually the Conservative Party. Well, conservative these days, while the Labour Party is like basically like the Democrats. Uh, not that it really matters much these days because they're both controlled oppositions yeah. and they're full of you know, self-serving career politicians. Yep. Yeah, if you if you want to read more about um, about you know the Chinese trying to influence Australian politics, read Clive Hamilton's book *Silent Invasion: China's Influence in Australia*. You can purchase this as an ebook on Amazon. You should really get it before the Chinese decide to censor that too. It right? really sounds like a lot of these, exactly, these kind of anti-white attacks coming, you know, from communist China. It's almost some kind of psychological warfare to justify mass immigration, just more white guilt. Because, you know, mm -hmm. as you see, white guilt works and then, okay, I can't say anything about immigration. Just let them all come and overtake me. I'll become a minority, you know. 
yeah, anyways, um, speaking of politics, I also want to bring up um, a person by the name of Pauline Hansen. Um, we know her, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sydney Watson mentioned that in the last interview you had with her, right? She also brought up a, a, a motion recently about the it's okay to be white motion. <laughs> that it made international news yeah. like it is not okay to be white. She was yeah. booed out. You know? Yeah, because what's interesting about Pauline Hansen is Back in 1996, once when she was elected as I think senator in Queensland, um, she made a speech which said, um, "Let me see." So this is what she said um, in Parliament um, in 1996. She said, "Between 1984 and 1995, 40% of all migrants coming into this country were of Asian origin. They have their own culture and religion, form ghettos, and do not assimilate." Of course, I will be called racist, but if I can invite whom I want into my home, then I should have the right to have a say in who comes into my country. A truly multicultural country can never be strong or united. The world is full of failed and tragic examples, ranging from Ireland to Bosnia to Africa and closer to home, Papua New Guinea. America and Great Britain are currently paying the price. End quote. So, yeah. Pauline Hansen has been pretty woke, you know, yeah. even for back then. Yeah. If Australia just listened to her, then Australia would not have this problem we're having right now. And I certainly wouldn't have to be here telling you about it. She's a female politician we can actually get behind, huh? <laughs> yes. Um, he loves Israel is, um, a lot, but, you know, but there's other things that are good. <laughs> yeah. And shortly after this, um, she was treated uh, pretty brutally. Um even by today's standards, it was pretty disgusting. So she left politics for a while and came back in 2014. And I remember one of the um, one of the guys in the media asked her, "So, do you still believe what you said about Asians back in 1996?" And she replied, "Well, if you look at suburbs like Hurstville, um, the Asian population certainly has grown. So, she, so it's good to know that she hasn't really backflipped on what she said." But uh, um, but the the problem is um, she because now she she seems to have dropped this whole um, problem about Asia and moved on to Muslims. Yeah. And yes, Muslims is a problem, but they're not growing at the same rate um, like they are in Europe. And and yeah, like and yeah, the Chinese problem is. Is much more bigger in comparison to the Muslim problem. Yeah, they're just uh, they're they're quieter. They're more behaved. Yeah, they have they have money. They study exactly. It, it is a silent invasion, like the book title. Yeah. <laughs> so you know they're not out there on the streets making noise. So people just tend to not no, not notice it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, this is Vancouver now. You know, it just happened fast. You know? Yeah, but um, but one of the things that uh, kind of turned me off about Pauline Hanson and and many other Australian nationalists is that um, so a few months ago, Senator Fraser Anning um, made a speech to Parliament and he said, the final solution to the immigration problem is, of course, a popular vote. So because he said final, final solution. solution, yeah, we covered that. Yeah. Hilarious. Everyone just lost their minds. Oh my gosh. Can't ever yeah, say final solution ever again because you know yeah, why. Imagine teaching maths like yeah. <laughs> the final, final solution, solution to this problem. <laughs> yeah. Can't say that. And yet, and, th and that's the thing, because Pauline Hanson threw Fraser Anning under the bus because oh. he said final oh. solution. And it's, it's sad. Yeah. And, 
Fraser Anning is very vocal about um, stopping non-white immigration and preferring European immigration instead. So, yeah, Fraser Anning is kind of alone at the moment. Poor guy. Um, but, of course, we, we also um, know about Pauline Hansen's push for the it's okay to be white motion. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. So, so yeah, um, as far as Pauline Hansen goes, I'm a bit mixed because we can't forget that he, you know, she, she threw Fraser Anning under the bus or because he said final solution, which... Yeah. Yeah. She has a, a, a exactly that that hold on her there, you know, that uh, strong passion and support for Israel. Yeah, yeah. and well, she, she is a boomer, so we have to remember <laughs> that. So, you know how boomers are with Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyways, um, I was there's also a recent development that she's teaming up with a guy named Mark Latham, and Mark Latham is another one of those boomer conservatives. You know, you know. This is like my greatest ally and all that yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like all the civic yeah. nationalists. It's so. always that. It, unfortunately, all over the West and nationalist parties, they're very Israel first yeah. still. Yeah. Yeah. And so moving on back to, back to the main topic. So um, another major elephant in the room concerning Chinese influence in control is that they are buying up a lot of Australian assets, you know, like land, farms, houses. So, and these so called investors. Uh, so yeah, these so-called investors are not really private citizens. Citizens, they all have some or of indirect commu- uh, connections to uh, the Communist Party, and the CCP likes to bring up that that Australians are hypocrites because there's a lot of um, investment coming in from America or Great Britain, and they own much more assets in comparison to the Chinese. But you know, the major difference is. Um, investors from places like America are more genuine investors and they're not like controlled by by any government and they don't come from countries that's controlled by one party governments like China. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's not like uh, we have American investors, you know, trying to influence our parliament to have to bring the Bill of Rights over. Not that I'd complain. We do need something like the Bill of Rights. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think countries just shouldn't allow foreigners to buy up lots of land. I mean, <laughs> you mentioned Australia. Yeah. This same thing is happening in Canada, America, Greece, uh, places in, in Europe. I just think that that loophole should just be shut down, personally. Yeah, and it doesn't end there, unfortunately, because in 2015, a Chinese company signed a 99-year lease on the Darwin port. Yes, right now the Chinese has a lease on our most northern oh. port, oh. and Darwin is also. How, how um, does this happen? I mean, I mean, even the Chinese in, in China—they're probably laughing, ah, ha, ha, you know. Jeez. Yeah, and Americans were a bit concerned about it because um, Darwin is also where the Marines um, train, mm-hmm. and so who actually approved of this? It was former Chief Minister of the Northern Territory. Adam Giles, he authorized the lease. We can thank him for that. And then in 2016, then Treasurer Scott Morrison blocked the sale of electricity distri- distributor Osgrid to two Chinese government-owned companies. So yes, they were trying to buy an electricity distributor in Australia. 
Wow. Yeah, and China recently isn't even had the nerve to accuse Australia of having a Cold War mentality because one of the Liberal Party senators pointed out um, China's debt, tra- debt trapping schemes that they're doing to nations in the, in the Pacific. And that's pretty rich, seeing as how China currently has control over the port of Darwin and tried to purchase Osgrid in 2016. Mm. Yeah, and given the way the Chinese are buying up Australian assets and the way some Chinese conduct their businesses, the Chinese has earned uh, this this title from some Australian nationalists as the Yellow Jew. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, I didn't. You can get away with yeah. it because you don't look yeah, like I it. can get away. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't say they're completely wrong because I can confirm that the Chinese are, have quite an obsession towards money and wealth especially with um, the attitude towards consumerism. It's also not unusual um, within Chinese culture to haggle and ne- negotiate prices. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also a superstitious um, belief within Chinese culture that the number eight is associated with good luck. Um, so the number eight is pronounced ba in China, uh, which I guess rhymes with the term fa, which is uh, short for fate, and fate basically means to become rich and become wealthy. So the fact that they're superstitious about the number eight, you know, in associating with wealth, you know, also reinforces that um, that fixation towards money and wealth. Yeah, and like I mentioned earlier, my parents pointed out that the Chinese tend to be cheap. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, unlike the Jews, I would say the way the Chinese chase money um, is more out of love for having money and, and materialism, whereas you know the Zionist Jews uh, tries to get other control. yes yes tries to get other nations to fight their wars and you know pretend to be right and preach about my fellow whites. But of course, um, <laughs> it's funny Chinese that you know this. <laughs> How do you know this? Yeah. Yeah, but of course, the Chinese and the Jews' love for shekels is quite mutual. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, what can Australia do or should do at this point? The way I see it, Australia needs to put their foot down and bluntly tell China to just stop with their crap. Of course, this won't, wouldn't be without temporary prob- problems arising. Because... Over the decades, the Australian economy has become very reliant upon China's economy. And depending on how China's economy shifts, so too does Australia. So Australia has limited bargaining power in this aspect. It also doesn't help that Australia doesn't produce anything anymore because we've shipped all our manufacturing overseas thanks to unions and all that. And of course, the self-serving politicians in parliament um, they've, um, I'd say most of them are, are compromised because, because of like things like bribes from the Chinese and things like that. If you ask me, I think parliament should be dissolved and start all, start all over again. Um, parliament is just too much of a mess right now. So, so yeah, um, not much is really getting done. And yeah, well, you know, if China is going to be triggered by, Australia standing up for themselves. I say just let them and let the world see. Um, well, yeah, know. I mean, chi- the Chinese yeah. would never allow themselves to be taken advantage of the way that they're taking advantage of other countries, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, I say let the world see see them because China is very concerned about you know what I explained earlier the concept of face. Um, for example, if whatever happens in China, um, cities like Beijing, Shanghai, um, Guangzhou, those cities will never go under because they are the face of China. So whatever um, economic hardship they may experience in the future, those cities will still like look like nothing had happened. Now, what about the Chinese already in Australia? Well, I'd say a lot of them who are still very loyal towards the CCP will get turned off by Australia's um, attitude towards China and voluntarily leave. The remaining Chinese um, who, who don't, will, well, of course, will stay, but their, but their size won't grow very much. Thanks to the one-child policy and um, the influences of postmodernism, um, Chinese families typically do not have more than one child at a time. So, yeah, that's a, that that will basically keep the population under control in a way. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think Australia or Canada or America are going to put their foot down to China in that way. I know Trump kind of kind of does, but not when it comes yeah. to immigration. Yeah, no, because, I wanna... um, yeah, because um, Trump do, does do some business with China, so mm -hmm. that may jeopardize that. Yeah. Exactly. Now, being you know Chinese yourself, why would you not want to see uh, Australian lose its native white majority? Well, well, of course, because if if Australia is not white anymore, it's not Australia. Yeah. If it was full of Chinese, it would become some Chinese outpost. You know, because um, that's that's why I, I don't follow civic nationalism and all those people who think that you know. Anyone who comes to the West will adopt the culture and assimilate and just live happily ever after. It doesn't work that way, you know, because race does um, does influence the character and culture of a country, whether you like it or not. You know, if you know if China starts, starts to become white, it's not going to be China anymore. Just just like any other country. So, I don't want I don't want Australia to to become to become destroyed through mass immigration. Yeah, and I think what we're asking for is completely reasonable. I mean, uh, people such as myself, I mean, we're absolutely fine with the limited immigration from non-white countries, but this is just overboard when it's absolutely destroying our demographics, exactly replacing the people that built the country. I mean, some people like yourself being in Australia, I mean, that's fine. I mean, you, you respect the culture, you know, you're you're I don't know, would you say that you're more unique or do you think that there's others who think like you in Australia? No, to be, yeah, to be honest, um, no, I think there, there will be very few Chi other Chinese out there who would think like me. Um, because as we saw um, with the midterms, like the amount of um, Latinos and African-Americans still voting for the, for the Democrats is pretty much unchanged. They still overwhelmingly su support, um, you know, policies that favored them. They f they think and operate on on race. Mm -hmm. So the Chinese aren't any different. You know, that's why the term Chinatown exists because everywhere um, large numbers of Chinese congregate, they make Chinatowns and create their own little parallel society. So a state within a state, really. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Now, have you ever thought about? <laughs> Obviously, I know what your answer is going to be, but moving back to China, 
Why would you not want to move back to China? And why did your family come to Australia? Um, why did my family come? Well, I guess mainly because of because of opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, what's interesting to note is, um, like in about 2010, when I went back to China, uh, my mom and I visited one of the universities um, she attended back in the day, and we basically found that all the all the professors and people of the higher up basically had left China and gone to Europe or Canada or America. So apparently there is a bit of a bit of a culture amongst the you know the educated and rich Chinese to move out of China to go to the West. So that so I think um, my parents' intentions to uh, come to the West is kind of similar to theirs because they know that um, China is not is not as uh, pristine. There's a lot of problems, you know, with corruption and things like that. So that's why they left. Uh, but as for me returning, um, return to China? No, go back to Asia. Yes, I'm thinking of Japan or maybe Singapore at this point. It's I find Japan and Singapore is pretty westernized to benefit. I've my been to both those because, places. Yeah, and yeah. nice people there too. Well, Singapore is mostly Chinese people. Right. People always say it's multicultural, but it's like yeah. it's essentially Chinese. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I won't go back to China for a couple of reasons. Well, first of all, um, China doesn't recognize dual citizenship. So in their eyes, I'm not even Chinese. So, well, <laughs> well, that's fair enough for me. And secondly, of course, with the CCP, I don't want to pay taxes to the CCP and fund fund them, especially since they're being a dick to Australia and and to their neighbors. Yeah, they're communists. So. Yeah. Hey, you, uh, I didn't tell you this, but my dad was born in China. So does that make him Chinese? <laughs> Could I can I get into China then? You know, um, am I half Chinese? <laughs> no, right? Yeah, yeah. Even I'm not really Chinese in my in my family's eyes. <laughs> Like, like they, they see me as a foreigner, like not in a bad way. They're just calling a spade a spade because because the Chinese are, are quite pure with what they consider Chinese. So you have to be both ethnically and culturally Chinese. So I don't pass the culturally parts. Hmm. Oh, wow. OK. I didn't know yeah. they were that hardcore. I thought it was just more of, you know, genetics. But hmm. yeah, again, it's not like it's not mostly our pressures. They're just calling a spade a spade the way they see it. Um, yeah. Now, do you think that, uh, just pick your brain, I know you don't live in China, so it's hard to know, but their view, watching the West and what's happening with multiculturalism and, and mass immigration and how, you know, white people are essentially losing their countries, uh, do you know how they view that? Do they view, like, that could be a good opportunity for them? Or, or how do they see it? Um, well, as in, like, becoming an like expanding, a, a, becoming you know more of a world power as the West also loses power or, or starts tanking as it is right now. Um, that I don't know, but um, but on social media, um, a lot of, a lot of Chinese living in China and throughout the West have been quite critical over the left. They've developed a term for the for white leftists called Bei Zuo. Bei means left, and Zuo means left. So white leftists. So they're pretty much um, labeling pretty much any white who just do nothing but kvetch on about social justice and things like that. They call them beta. So they don't really like this um, whole, you know, this leftist fantasy land either. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, um, but as far as um, ex like 
as far as like taking advantage of the West's decline and yeah. that I'm that I'm I don't really know. Mm. But but um but recent times since I've been to China I've noticed that progressively um things have been changing. So there so it is becoming a bit more modern. Um yeah last yeah early this year when I was in China with mum um, she says that she can't really recognize the city anymore, the city that, you know, uh, my grandparents live and when they grew up because, because of how, how many new buildings and like, you know, you know, new infrastructure being built and things like that. So, so, um, in a way, um, I think if China does improve economically, it may kind of, uh, limit the amount of Chinese leaving China in a way. So I think that would be good because they, um, they should they should try to keep as much Chinese in China as possible. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want uh, China or any country to go through what we're going through, uh, yeah. you know, in Europe. Yeah, because, and Canada. Um, I wouldn't wish that on, on anyone. Yeah. And, and yeah, I know I noticed this too, because um, I, the first time I went back to China was when I was 10 years old. And when I uh, went to visit my visit uh, my grandparents like i described the place as pretty much like a shithole <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, but yeah since then it's really improved so it, you know it looks much more livable compared to what i saw back then yeah i mean exactly yeah. it's modern there's a lot of wealth there china's actually huge there is a lot of land people see footage of all these like super crowded areas and stuff but there is like countryside and lots of land outside of these big cities I know it's a huge population, but there there's actually quite a bit of room, right? Yeah, but um, everyone's basically fleeing to the big cities like Shanghai for work and all. Um, like you know, um, I heard that in one village far out west, there's only one guy left in that village because they've all left, or you know, they've grown old and passed on. So, so yeah, there's um, there appears to be a bit of a bit of a shortage of, you know, farmers in China because they're all fleeing to the cities for opportunity and money and wealth. Okay. Well, that's not good. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to share with us before we start coming to the end here? Yeah, I also wanted to bring this up because, um, yeah, because I get that um, for, for some nationalists, identitarians, or whatever you want to call yourselves, um, it's... I know that you you have you may have friends who are non-white but are quite sympathetic to your views and and they seem to want to soften up their image a bit to make them a bit more inclusive. But you have to remember, um, your race is your family. As for your non-white friends, they can be your friends, but they can't be your family. And mm -hmm. right now, you have to take care of your family first. All right, take care of your family first, then you can worry about your friends. If your friends really are your friends, they'll understand that, that you have to take care of your family first. You know, if, if they're offended that, um, that if you look out for white interests that it won't include them, then chances are they're not very good friends. So yeah. I, I, really, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and for some reason, family. you know, coming from you, it, it, it'll, it'll be fine. That's the sad truth coming from me saying something like that. You know, I, I, I get yeah. called the queen bee of white supremacy, you know, <laughs> seriously, <Yeah. laughs> seriously. I did by BBC world news. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Just, yeah. 
just remember this: your race is your family. They come first. You can you can have you can be friends of outsiders, but just take care of your family first. And as for me, I can you know overlook the interests of my family because my family, my race is not being replaced. They're not having their homeland taken away, and they still have the heritage and everything. I disagree with um, their loyalty and self determination towards the Chinese Communist Party, but of course, in time that will eventually fade. It may happen in my lifetime, or it may not. But either way, my people as a distinct group is not going away anytime soon. Oh yeah, and one more thing I forgot to mention. Um, a lot of what I discussed today um, will be posted on a pin post on my Gab account. My Gab account is gab.ai slash glenn19. Yep, share it with everyone you know who would be interested or you think should read it. Of course, show them this video too. All right, Glenn. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think that's a good place to leave it for this time. We'll have to have you back in the future. All right. No problem. Glenn is good people. The truth is there's a lot of good people around the world who think like us. Only Europeans fell for this lie that says it's wrong to think of your people first. Being against this concept is hate. But everything is backwards in our leftist dominated culture that currently thrives in the West. But it won't last forever. Love you all. A huge special thanks to Red Ice members who support us through thick and thin. We really need your continued support through times of censorship and banning. We're one of the few outlets genuinely fighting for you. RedIceMembers.com is the best way that you can support us, but you can also send us letters and donations through snail mail. Also, everyone's been asking about new merch. Yes, it's coming this month, so look out for it. Also, be sure to watch our new live stream, Flashback Friday, every Friday, and also Weekend Warrior, which is still available every weekend for members. Love you all. See you on the next one.